Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our middle school students, Kylie Sheltes. Today I will be reading from Acts 21, verses 10 through 14. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we got to the people there, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready to not only be bound, but to also die in Jerusalem for the name of Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, we're going to be diving into Acts chapter 21 and into the beginning part of 22, although officially we're covering all the way through 26, but we're, uh, we'll just summarize that in just a moment. Have you ever felt out of place before? Anyone ever felt out of place? Yes. Uh, may have felt like you didn't belong somewhere. I, over the last several years, have taken up running, and I like running. It's a, you know, a hobby of mine, something that I enjoy doing. Um, I, I am trying to call myself a runner. I still don't consider myself a runner, uh, but I, I'm trying to change that mentality. Um, but when I did my very first race, I'd signed up for the California International Marathon, and that was going to be the first race. And, and I was like, well, I want to experience kind of a race and the vibe. And, and, and so I was looking for kind of a half marathon to do in the middle of my training. And, uh, and I found one that was in Auburn and it said it was a trail run, which meant nothing to me. And so I was like, okay, sounds fun. Um, I'll run on a trail instead of the street. And that, you know, seems good. Um, and, and it had a little bit more elevation than I'm used to, um, or, or I thought it was a little bit. And, and realized, because I apparently am bad at math, um, the elevation for the trail run uh, was like 2,500 feet total up and down. Uh, so it's a lot of like very straight down, very straight up kind of stuff. And, and I'm used to training in like 30 feet of total elevation around Citrus Heights. So this was a little bit of a culture shock. But I show up and I, I you know, really the morning of, I kind of start to process like, oh, that's a lot of, you know, climbing and, and stuff. And, and I start to already feel a little bit nervous. And I show up and I'm just looking at the way runners are dressed, the way they're preparing, the things that they're saying. And I'm just like, yeah, this is going to be a rough day for me. I mean, I'm hearing people be like, oh yeah, I did a 30 miler last week and I'm doing a 50 miler in a couple of weeks and this is my 710th trail run. And I was like, all right, well, this should be interesting, right? And so, you know, we have that in life sometimes where we feel like we are out of place. We feel like we are not equipped or prepared for whatever the moment is that's in front of us. But as Christians, if we're honest, we also feel this way about our relationship with Christ. Like we show up sometimes to church or we show up to a mission trip or, or, or we just wake up in the morning and, and we think I am not prepared to follow God. And we look around and we see all these super Christians and we see the way they're doing things. And we think, I can't compare to that. Like I can't live on mission because I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. And, and so what I want us to do today as we look at this, this text that Kylie just read for us, um, it's gonna be a jumping off point into going a little bit deeper into this chapter. But 
we're going to see this prophecy fulfilled and we're going to see the Apostle Paul uh, really begin his journey. Ultimately, he'll, he'll find himself in Rome uh, as he's going on trial and, and he begins this journey and, and there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of hardships and, and he handles them really well. He continues to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. But what I want us to do is to really feel this moment and to look at Paul and, and to see how Paul should never have been in this position. Paul should not be the person that we are talking about today. And we'll dive into that in just a minute. But let's get into the text here in chapter 21. And we're going to start in verse 10. What is happening is, um, well, never mind. We'll dive into verse 10 and then we'll go from there. It says, after we had heard uh, or after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied it to his own hands and feet with, with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Do you ever pause and just think there's a better way of doing that? I mean, like what did Agabus do? Did he run up and like rip Paul's belt off of him? Or did he he like, hey, can I borrow your belt really quickly? Like wrapped it up, you know, whatever, like tied himself. He's like, whoever's belt this is, is gonna be bound. And like, you know whose belt it was. You just took it from Paul. Like maybe just say, Paul, you're gonna go to prison. Um, But, but, you know, I I want us to, to feel this moment, right? Because here is Paul and he's looking at someone that they clearly trusted because we're gonna see his friends have, this this makes them uh, sorrowful. And, and so they clearly trust Agabus. They, they know that this is a word from the Lord. And, and yet I want us to, to ask the question, what would we do in this position? Like if someone came and said, hey, you being a Christian, you going to church, you going on that mission trip, you telling people about Jesus, you, uh, you, you know, demonstrating Christ to others is gonna lead you to prison. It's gonna lead you to persecution. It's gonna lead you to hardships. What would you do? Would you continue on? Would you turn and run? Would you maybe handle things to be a little more cautious? What would you do? Well, Paul's friends wanted him to turn and go somewhere else. It says, um, I lost my place. First of all, there we go. When, he, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so here in this moment, the friends take Agabus at his word. And they say, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. Prison's waiting for you. Persecution's waiting for you. We need to go somewhere else. We need to change our plans. And Paul says, no, 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 I understand that but I'm ready to be bound. I'm ready even to, to die if need be in the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God has called me to go to Jerusalem to proclaim his name, to make his name great, to make his name known. And so if God has called me, I, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna respond in that way. And so Paul willingly will head to Jerusalem knowing what is coming for him. And in this moment, Paul is demonstrating to us what a fully committed follower of Jesus really looks like. See, we define a fully committed follower as someone who who stops asking what's in it for me. And clearly Paul is not asking what's in it for me. He knows what is in it for him and it's not good. And yet Paul is living out something similar that he writes in the book of Philippians. In Philippians, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, Paul is 100% committed and sold out for Jesus. 
He's like, hey, I just want Jesus and I wanna make him known and I wanna be in relationship with him and I wanna love him with everything that I have. And that is the most important thing to me. He says, if I'm gonna live, it's gonna be for Christ. Actually, if I die, it is for my gain because then I get to be with Christ in glory and eternity. And Paul understands that there's nothing this world has to offer that compares like even closely to what God has in store for us, to what God is offering to us. And so he says, yes, die is game, but if I'm gonna live here and now, I'm gonna do it for Jesus. I'm sold out for him. And so this allows him to take these steps forward because he is following the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And let's unpack that for just a minute because really, as we look at Paul sharing his faith, this idea of evangelism as we talk about it, sharing Jesus, um, you know, crossing over borders to, to reach people for Christ, um, this idea is really the most loving thing that we can do. So how do we love our neighbor? The first question we may ask is who is our neighbor? And we've talked about that in here before, but Jesus answered this with the story of the Good Samaritan. And the point of that story that Jesus is making is that the Samaritan is the hero in the story. And Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. And so Jesus is saying, hey, that person that you despise, that person that you have tension with, um, both real and maybe imagined, uh, that person, if you come in contact with them, that is your neighbor. And you need to demonstrate love. And so every person in our area of influence, every person that we come in contact with is a neighbor that we need to demonstrate the love of Christ towards. So what does that love look like? Well, in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so ultimately, uh, Jesus is saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm gonna lay down my life for you. But he's saying this also needs to be the mentality that we have for others. And Paul in this passage is demonstrating that. He's saying, I'm willing to be bound or even to die in the name of Christ. And what does Christ want me to do? He wants me to love others by telling them about Jesus. And he's saying, so I'm willing to sacrifice myself in the name of Jesus. Now, many of us, we're not gonna walk out these doors and face that kind of persecution. We're not gonna face imprisonment or even death for making God's name great, for, for proclaiming Jesus. But in Luke chapter nine, it says this, and I think this is important for us. It tells us this in verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And so Jesus reminds us that part of the Christian life is a self-denial. It's saying it's no longer about me, but it's all about Christ. And so we're laying down ourselves to love God and to love others, to make him known, to make his name great. And so what this really means practically is that every area of our life should be impacted by our relationship with Christ. I mean, everything you do, every hobby you have, the places you work, the people you hang out with, what you do with those people, like all of it should be impacted by your relationship with Christ. And we can think of this missionally, that everything you do is a witness of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Like if we're gonna deny ourselves and follow Christ and love others the way God has called us to love, then everything we do has to be seen as a witness. So showing up to church today on a Sunday, that is a witness. 
Because there's hundreds of other things that you could be doing on a Sunday morning. And yet you said, no, worship is important. It is a priority. And I'm gonna start my week off by being in worship and being gathered together uh, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is important. The things that you say, the words that you use are a witness. The things that you listen to, the, the shows that you watch, the movies that you go and see, that is a witness of your relationship with Jesus Christ. How you treat people is a witness. And of course, if you go and proclaim Jesus and make him known, that is a witness to that person, but it's also a witness to others to say, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know that it has the keys to life. And so everything we do should be impacted by our relationship with Christ and everything we do should be seen as a witness of our relationship and the mission that we are on. And so Paul understands that and he is living that out. And I wanna go down to verse 30 to kind of see the fulfillment of this prophecy, but also to see how Paul strategically shares the gospel with a group of people who really don't want to hear it. And so what happens is Paul shows up to Jerusalem and there's a group of people that say, hey, you should go through a purification, a cleansing, um, a ritual cleansing so to, to, to show that you are still kind of one of, that you are for the people, basically. And, and Paul's willing to do that because it's not a sin issue. This is not turning his back on the gospel. This is just saying, hey, I can blend in a little bit with the culture because it's not something sinful. Um, and I can show them that, yes, I am for them in this moment. And what happens is they don't care. They find out that Paul is there and it creates this stir and this commotion in the, uh, in the city. And it tells in verse, verse 30 that the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That's kind of them. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. Do you hear the insanity of this moment? Here is Paul, he has entered into this place where yes, he wants to share Jesus with these people, but he comes from a place of love and compassion. He, he is trying to uh, be appropriate and, and be acceptable to the people in any way that he can. And he is dragged out of the temple and, and the people begin to beat him with the intention of taking his life away. And the only reason they stop is because the officers show up and what do they do? They arrest Paul. And they say to Paul, who was just being beaten, what did you do? Like, what is happening here? And I want us to put ourselves in Paul's shoes and to just ask, how would we respond in this moment? It actually gets worse here in the next couple of verses. It says after he was arrested um, that some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. And so when they're shouting, get rid of him, what they're saying is we don't care how you do it, but we don't ever wanna see this man again. 
Kill him, throw him in prison for life, ship him off to a different country. We don't care, but just get rid of him. Now, if you're Paul and you have experienced what he just experienced, how do you respond? How do you feel about this crowd? Now, let's not give the church the answer, but let's give a real honest response. And because I'm telling you that the pastor in me wants to say that I would respond with love and I would want to preach the gospel just like Paul's about to do here. But the human part of me is like, forget those people. Like if they are, are, I'm coming in to preach the gospel and they haven't even heard what I had to say and and they're trying to take my life away and and they're shouting lies and insults and all these different things are happening and, and they're shouting, get rid of him. And I've been falsely arrested and accused. I don't want to preach the gospel. I don't even want to be around those people. And honestly, I probably have this feeling of, well, I tried. Clearly, Jesus is not for them. And definitely feel like maybe they're not worthy. That's the honest response. Now, I hope and I pray that the spirit would work in me the way it did in Paul. But I want us to be honest about how we would feel in this moment to see how we should respond and to understand how difficult that really is. And so here's what Paul does through the strength of the Holy Spirit. It says, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Now, this next part's gonna be important the way he talks to these Roman officials, but we'll come back to that in just a minute. But he says, do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? And Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarshish and Silica, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. So Paul has been beaten. He has been put in chains. He has been arrested and falsely accused of all these different things. They were trying to take his life away. And when he was rescued by the guards, the crowds shout, get rid of him. And he says, let me tell them about Jesus. Let me preach the gospel to them. Do you have that kind of heart? Do you have that kind of mindset? Maybe some of you are asking the question, how? How can he demonstrate love, acceptance, forgiveness to this crowd, to this angry mob, to this people that want to kill him? And I'll give you three reasons why I think Paul is able to do this. And maybe why things that can change our perspective as we go out into the world and encounter a hostile culture, encounter different levels, certainly not this degree, hopefully not this degree of hostility. And so here's the first thing is that Paul was able to do this uh, because he remembered who he was and how he became who he is. He remembered who he was and how he became who he is. Now, if you've been with us through the Acts series, if you've read through the book of Acts, you could go back to Acts chapters seven, eight, and nine, and, and you would see that the first time we hear about Paul, he is standing and approving uh, the murder of one of the disciples, Stephen. And so he is approving of his killing, of his death. And that energizes him and he gets excited about how the people responded. And so he goes and begins to persecute Christians and have them killed for their faith. This is who Paul was. And then as he's walking on the road to Damascus to go and have more Christians imprisoned and killed, Jesus meets him in a powerful way in this beam of light. He comes and says, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? And in that moment, you got to imagine that Paul knew his life was over. 
He's not thinking about grace. He's not thinking about forgiveness. He's not thinking about being a follower of Jesus. He is thinking, oh no, I offended a holy God. Right, all of a sudden he's going back through his life and he is thinking, yeah, I may have made a few mistakes. He knows who he was and he knows what he deserved. And yet what did he receive? He received grace. Was it because of what he would do? No. Was it because of his righteousness? Absolutely not. It wasn't because of who he was or anything that he would do. He didn't deserve it. There was no way he could ever earn it. And yet God extended grace and forgiveness to him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He welcomed him into his family and said, you are loved, you are chosen, you are wanted by me and I have a purpose for you. You're gonna be a servant and you're gonna proclaim my name and make my name known for generation after generation after generation. And here we are, and we can read Paul's letters in our Bible some 2,000 years later. Paul knows who he was. And he knows that he became who he is because of the love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus, not because of anything he had done. And so that kind of understanding of grace and mercy uh, is powerful. Now, I'll be honest, if you're in the room and you're someone like me, I grew up in the church. Anyone else grew up in the church? Where my, my, my church kids? Yep, my church people. Okay, great. Um, I grew up in the church. And so sometimes this mentality can be difficult because there's never been a day in my life where, where I didn't know the love of Christ, where, where I didn't believe that Jesus is real and that he really did die to save, uh, to forgive us of our sins and, and to save us from our sins and, and to offer us new life. And so that's all I've experienced. And because of that, I, I've been, I've been um, gracefully able to live a life that, that is, is at least somewhat obedient to Christ from the very beginning. And so it's really easy for someone like me to go and look and be like, listen, I'm a really good person, right? Like, look at how many times I've been to church. Like, look how much I've read of the Bible. Think of all these worship songs. Like, I know 90s worship. Like, I got it like the back of my hand, right? And, and so like, um, and so, you know, it's easy for me to get caught up in that, like, hey, I'm pretty good. But even for the church people, for those who, who, who know when their turning point was or don't, like all of us were born into sin, deserving of death and were saved by grace. None of us are good enough. But being a Christian is not about what you do, it's about what's been done for you. And so we need to remember who we were and how we became who we are. And so Paul remembers that. And the second thing is this, is that, um, Paul is, is fully committed to Jesus in the mission that he has been given. He is fully committed to Jesus in the mission he has been given. And, and for many of us, what happens is over time, uh, we become a little less sold out and a little less sold out and a little less sold out. And, and what happens is we're, we're at church on Sunday and we're thinking, yes, I'm a follower of Christ today and I'm worshiping and, and praise God. And we leave here, maybe with good intentions, and then Monday comes and I got to take the kids to school and I got to go to work and, you know, I got to uh, do some stuff around the house and I got to go fix the sprinkler system and I have friends that I got to go meet with. And then later in this week, you know, there's, there's different trips and different things. And so we just get kind of caught up in the, the ordinary day to day and we stop living intentionally. We stop living on mission and we kind of push our relationship with Christ to the side. And we're like, I'll get to that on Sunday. Um, but, you know, the rest of the week, like I have too many other relationships I got to deal with and, and, and manage and I just don't have time. And so being a Christian, we, we want to have that relationship with God. We get to have a relationship with God. And so let's be sold out for Jesus. Let's be fully committed to him. Let's keep pursuing our relationship with him. 
And as we pursue him, our eyes are gonna be open to this world and we're gonna see the mission that God's called us to do and we're gonna understand the significance and the value of sharing Jesus with others. And so then we as the church get to be a people who are committed to living on mission. Each and every day, everything we do is, is a witness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the third thing that Paul, uh, that Paul knew and the reason why he was able to do this is that um, Paul knew that he'd been placed and equipped for a moment like this. He had been placed by God and equipped by God for a moment just like this. And so if you go back, Paul is able to speak to these Roman officials and he speaks Greek, he speaks their language. And he tells them, I'm from Tarshish. And so they said, hey, aren't you this other person? He says, no, 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 like I'm, I'm from this big city. This was an important city. And at that time, if you were from an important city, that meant you were an important person. And so they're like, oh, you're from Tarshish, okay. You wanna to talk to this angry crowd? That's fine, go ahead. Like you're an important person, so go talk to them. And then Paul flips it. And this is what it says in chapter, well, at the end of chapter 21, verse 40. It says, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, now he's speaking their language, brothers and sisters, or sorry, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And so he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm family. So when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarshish of Silica, but brought up in this city. So now he's saying, hey, the Tarshish thing actually maybe is, is a negative thing for the Jewish crowd. And so he says, yes, I was born in Tarshish, but I was raised here. He's like, I used to ride my bike to the Dairy Queen down on the corner. Like, I, I know where I'm from. I know where you're from. Like, we're from the same place. We're the same people. And he says, I studied under Gamaliel who, and, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And so this is um, someone who was a Jewish rabbi, a very well-known Jewish rabbi. And if you studied under him, that was a big deal. Like someone comes up and they says, hey, I graduated from Harvard or Yale. You're like, oh, you're an intelligent person. This is what he's doing here. And then he says this, he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Again, he's looking back on who he was and he's saying, hey, I understand why you are an angry crowd trying to kill me because I was once part of an angry crowd that was trying to kill Christians. I get it, I've been there. And he says, I had men and women thrown into prison. And he says, the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And so he's doing all of this to draw the crowd in. And in this moment, Paul is using all of his past, his good and his bad, his strengths and his weaknesses, like the joys and the sins and the brokenness. And he's using all of it to make God's name known. And he's gonna go and he's gonna present the gospel by sharing his story and how God got a hold of his heart and transformed his life and turned him around as something meaningful. But what I want us to understand is that Paul should never be in this position. I mean, you think about the qualifications and you're like, hey, if I could pick someone to proclaim the gospel, it's probably not gonna be Paul. I mean, listen, we are going through a senior pastor search and if Paul came and applied at our church, there's a good chance that he would be told no. I mean, think about it. in Corinthians, first of all, he says that he's not that great of a communicator. 
But he would also show up and he'd be like, hey, yeah, I've been a Christian, but listen, uh, early on in my life, like I was really committed to the law and I really loved obedience. And, and I saw that Christians weren't really obedient to the law. And so I had some thrown in prison. You're like, okay, I have some questions about that. He's like, had a few of them killed. And you're like, you know what? I think there's a church down the street that might be looking for a pastor. Like these would be disqualifications. I mean, to his audience, him not being born in Jerusalem was maybe a little bit of a disqualification. He has to prove that he's impossible because he wasn't there with Jesus in the flesh. Again, it's another disqualification. Paul should not be in this position. And I asked at the very beginning, I said, how many of you have ever felt like you didn't belong before? How many of you have ever felt uh, out of place before? And, and I want to think how many have ever felt in the church like, hey, I don't have the strengths, I don't have the education, I don't have the words, I don't have the years of experience, I don't have the right age, I don't have whatever to serve Jesus. So many people in the church feel that way. And yet here is Paul in all of his brokenness, all the things that should disqualify him, God is gonna take and he's gonna redeem these pieces of his story. He's taking both these places that he's from and saying both of them matter. You're from Tarshish and you're from Jerusalem and both of that, that that's important. And, and well, that may like not go well with one or the other side, like it matters to get you to this moment. I'm like, yeah, Paul, you have a sinful past, but what that does is it gives you a heart of compassion so that you can look at a crowd that's trying to kill you and you can say, hey, I've been there. How can I do anything but love and proclaim the gospel because someone did that for me? And so, so many of us, we, we look and we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm too young or I'm too old or again, I don't have the right education and, and we think this disqualifies us. But what I want you to know is that God has placed you in your areas of influence uh, for a moment like this because he is, well, let me say how I said it in the, in, in the bulletin. God has placed you where you are at at just the right time to be a light to the world. Like God didn't make a mistake. He put you in your family. He put you in your place of work. He put you in your neighborhoods. He put you in this church for a purpose. You have a part in God's plan. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Remember, the disciples were unschooled, ordinary men. But man, did they make an impact. Because it was the willingness that they had to listen to the spirit of God. And that's what I want to remind us of. Then Acts 1.8 it says that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so the same spirit that dwelt in Paul, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave dwells in us as believers today. And so if you are thinking, you know what? I can't serve God. I can't be a witness. I can't talk to my friends about Jesus. I don't have the right answer. What you really are doing is you're demeaning the work of the spirit in your life. Like if the spirit of God dwells in you, you are equipped for ministry. You are equipped to be a part of the church, to be a part of the body. You are equipped to be a pastor in your areas of influence. And we do all of this for the same reason that Paul did, because it's not about us, it's about reflecting Jesus. So you look at Paul's story, and he was a man who entered Jerusalem knowing that he would be bound, knowing that he would face persecution. And sure enough, he was captured, and he had an angry mob that came and was shouting all different accusations at him. He was held in prison and the crowd shouted, get rid of him, get rid of him. He was beaten and he was mocked. And for us believers, that should sound familiar because that's what Jesus did for us and for Paul before. See, Paul's story reflects Jesus' story. 
that Jesus knew that when he went to Jerusalem, that would ultimately end his capture and his death on a cross. But he still went there because he loved the people and he wanted to offer them a means to salvation. And the crowd got a hold of him and they beat him and they mocked him. He was scorned and then he was put on a cross to die because the crowd had shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And he did this because of his great love and mercy. And while the crowd was shouting, crucify him, and he was hanging on that cross, he's shouting, I love you and I forgive you. And so when we repent of our sins and we turn from our old ways, we can receive this gift of Jesus Christ, just like Paul did. But we remember who we were and how we became who we are. And so we make his name great. We proclaim Jesus to the world. In all circumstances, at all times, to all people, we live as a witness of Jesus Christ, equipped and placed by the Holy Spirit to do a good work and to make his name known. We get to be kingdom builders. Like you have been equipped and placed in your areas of influence to be a builder of the kingdom of God. We don't deserve that, but we get to partner with God in what he's doing all around us through prayer, through evangelism, through ministry, through serving, through being part of the church, through worshiping. All of this is living as a witness, making his name great. And so don't hold on to that gift for yourself, but share it freely with everyone you come in contact with. And yes, some will respond in poor ways. But if we remember who we were and how we became who we are, if we remember that we've been placed for a purpose like this, if we are sold out for Jesus and the mission, then we, like Paul, will be able to share love, acceptance, forgiveness everywhere we go. And so let's be the church that proclaims Christ to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for welcoming us into your family. God, for forgiving us of our sins, for paying the price that we could never pay on our own. God, we didn't deserve it, we can't earn it, and yet you gave it to us anyways. And so God, I pray that our lives would be a reflection of your love, of your truth to everyone around us. God, thank you for placing us in our areas of influence today and every day so that we can partner with you in what you're up to and being a light for you so that we can share faith and invite others to come and know you as well. And so God, I pray for favor for our church, for our people, that in our conversations, that in our interactions, God, that you would give people open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say and that you would speak mightily and powerfully through us to draw others into your kingdom and into your plans and your purpose. God, we love you. And again, just thank you for welcoming us into your family and including us in your mission. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.